Hello everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the See Me podcast. The podcast is looking this series at our journey of a social movement and all the amazing actions and things that people have been doing all around Scotland to tackle mental health stigma and discrimination who we've been working with. Uh, This week we've got the feature interview from Janice who works at Deaf Scotland speaking at some of the work that we've done with them looking at mental health stigma discrimination and uh, deafness as well. Really interesting interview and an interesting insight into the different types of stigma that people can face or when they face sort of dual stigma for a couple of different reasons and the exclusion that that can lead to. Uh, for today, I am joined as always by Dee. Hello, Hello. Dee. Good morning. Good morning. And also joined by our social movement manager, Tony. Hello, Tony. Hello, everyone. Everyone. Let's hope that there is loads of everyone, not just like <laughs> three people, or just us <laughs> listening back to ourselves. That's nice. How are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Nick. Yeah, I'm well. Um, excited about being on my first podcast. One of many, hopefully, Tony. One of many. At the very least, two. Because yeah. you're booked in for two in this series. Unless this one so, goes really bad, then they might not book me in for the second one. <laughs> but Tony, Tony always forgets that she did do a podcast um, a while back with Pass For All when we did one about movement and mental health and well-being keep forgetting about that Tony I did didn't I but actually I think it's my um, lack of knowledge around technology that I just thought that was a conversation with you guys (laughs) (laughs) I like it so you've been in a podcast but you had no idea no idea that we were recording it but you just thought that the little microphone was just being passed around and it was just a a fluffy bit of fun (laughs) A fluffy bit of fun. <laughs> but yeah, well, this is It's your... a Thursday morning, guys. Keep it keep it peace. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the uh, the first time that you're aware that you're in a podcast. Um and you know, if you don't get invited back for the second one that you booked in for, you'll have, you'll have to really be looking at yourself there. <laughs> Thanks for that, guys. Lovely to be here officially. <laughs> D, how are you doing? I'm good, apart from, yeah, like Tony said, a little bit, little bit of tech, a little bit of tech issues this morning, but it's fine. It's all working now. Good, good. Well, as so, as I said in the intro there, the, the interview and what we're looking at a bit in this episode is different types of stigma and discrimination that people can face uh, for mental health and something else. We work with a few different intersexual partners for doing this. Um, we work with... GAMH, looking at uh, BME work, we've been working with LGBT health and wellbeing as well, and we've been working with Deaf Scotland too, in looking at some of the issues and difficulties that people face if they experience deafness, and they also experience mental health problems as well, Um, and some of the stigma and discrimination that they can face because of that, um, particularly around issues of being excluded for things or just not considered for things, really. And, see, Tony, you lead on quite a lot of this work. Why do you think that it's important, not just for CME, but for anyone, really, who, who's interested in tackling stigma and discrimination, why is it important to work with different groups of people and look at how people can be impacted in different ways, but in more than one way, by stigma and discrimination? 
Yeah, I think that um, some of the work that we've been doing recently, as you mentioned, around the different intersectional partnerships has really hit home that it's so, so important that we work with other people who are experts in that community or in that group. The intersectional nature of somehow stigma and discrimination forms and presents itself is so complex and we'll never fully understand it unless we really get round about those people who experience it. So working with, as you say, GAMH or working with Deaf Scotland or LGBT Health allows us to learn loads about different forms of stigma and discrimination, how that presents itself, the impact that that has on particular groups. And I think that the more that we can work with other people to understand that, but also to support them to tackle it in the way that's right for that community is just so, so key. And these partnerships have just been so helpful in helping us learn more about that, I guess. Definitely. I think with with Deaf Scotland, it's a particularly interesting one. It really hits home just, I think, how unfair stigma and discrimination can be. Um, if it, Whether or not it's been intentional or quite often unintentional um, through just people not thinking about what someone else needs but obviously no one wants to experience deafness or wants to experience difficulties with their mental health Uh, but if it happens to you it can be really really difficult and then not being treated fairly because of it or being treated differently can make it so much worse and if you're experiencing two different things and then for instance and you've got like a I think we've got to be really careful and it's really opened like our eyes up more and to make sure to try and go through back and even little things like making sure all of our videos have subtitles and things like that or at events we have someone who's signing to make sure that even within an organisation like ours where we're working to make sure people aren't excluded that we aren't doing it ourselves as well and I think that's where some when we talk about stigma and discrimination it's not all about kind of blame and finger pointing and you've done a bad thing and it can quite often be just people well-intentioned and then not thinking oh what do I really need to do to ensure we include everyone and do like do you think that it's quite it really makes you think about how much more you need to consider a whole range of different things and really treating everyone as individual people because everyone can have so many different things going on yeah definitely because you know the lived experience of of the people that we speak to is so vital in understanding how stigma and discrimination affects people differently um and i think obviously if you if you have a dual stigma that you're up against a dual stigma you know i.e from lgbt community or you you do struggle with um you know disability or hearing impairment or deafness you know you've got you've got more than one barrier to overcome and you've got more than one barrier when it comes to accessing resources and and um, being able to communicate you know what you're experiencing and and how you feel and you know I think we are doing the right things you know we're looking at as you said like you know subtitling and making sure our website's as accessible as possible and working with Desk Scotland on Desk Scotland sorry on, on creating um accessible videos and making sure that you can contact us via BSL and um, but you know we're, we're always going to be learning how to improve that because the voices of everybody matter and people experience mental health stigma in completely different ways so just kind of of learning and, and taking that time to to understand what works for people and, and what they need from us as well is really really important totally yeah that point of what works for people is a massive one and one that we've 
explored so much in this work and Tony do you think what do you think really allows people to feel included in in this type of work like if they're if someone's struggling with their mental health and with deafness as well do you think that people do feel quite excluded from initiatives and programs and organizations even like ourselves that are trying to make a difference do you think it's quite hard for people to then be able to know about us and what's going on and is the partnerships the way to really get around that yeah I think it touches on partly what Dee was picking up on there about you know are those voices represented in our work are we relatable to a deaf person who's struggling with their mental health and I think that we are we're working much more towards that but I think that the more that we can have more voices represented the more that we can become more relatable to different communities I think that will make it easier and it will inspire others to to take action in the way that's right for them so I think that the more that we can continue to learn and work with different communities to develop new resources to think about our messaging then I think that 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 can only inspire and encourage other people to talk openly and, and just get involved I guess is the most important thing yeah totally and they've so one of the big bits of work that we've done with them is creating some videos they led on the work creating some amazing videos looking at the impact of deafness and struggling with your mental health and experiencing stigma and discrimination but quite sort of positive videos in terms of looking at what people could do to help what people could do to support the types of conversations you can have the types of communication that's helpful as well and I think it was really good to be able to create something that showed the impact on what it's like for people and videos that maybe you don't see that often because I guess in that sense mental health deafness and stigma discrimination altogether it's quite a niche thing that you might see on social media or online or on YouTube or something like that but really really important videos to have and really important ways to communicate do you really like how do you think social media and obviously you run our social media channels like and those videos did they get much reaction and impact or what was the reaction and do you think that it's good to have that type of content on social media so people can visibly see that they are I guess being thought about yeah definitely I think in terms of reaction that you know the reaction when we put those kind of things out is always positive because we're reaching new people which is what we want and you know we always say that you know we we don't we never want to exclude anyone and everybody needs to feel like they're being communicated with and listened to um and i think you know with something like social media that's so wide ranging and such an open and wide platform and um, for engaging people it's essential that we're doing that work and that we're making it as accessible as possible for for everyone um you know i think it's it's very easy for us to be like oh it's okay not to be okay and kind of open up those conversations really really widely but unless we're taking the steps to make sure that that includes that actually does include everyone and we're making that available to people you know and that's where it's it's really really important and I think you know luckily Deaf Scotland have, have been so supportive with us and given us positive feedback and saying you know you try this do that so things like image descriptions and making sure that our links are short enough and and just doing you know small things that aren't difficult but just make a big difference to to people that that might need it it would be really interesting 
to find out when we're editing this together, um, probably contact the guys over at Deaf Scotland and find out how podcasts can be accessible as well uh, and for people because obviously it's a very audio medium which might not be accessible for everyone but to find out how that can be made more accessible whether it's accompanying videos with or the transcripts or, or whatever it may be I don't know but it would be interesting to to find that out yeah. as well and to make sure that we do that and we're not just quite literally talking the talk that we're also making it accessible yeah <laughs> like, and I, th- I think as, it's as the old saying goes <laughs> talking the talk and making it accessible. that's catchy um I think as well it's just a, a process of always learning um as well you know we might by habit do stuff uh on social or, or word things a certain way or make things a certain way and it's you know it's just habitual for us but kind of constantly being open to learning from our partners about what's going to make our our work more accessible is really really important and we're you know we're not going to get it right first time but we're open to learning and and adapting and I think that's that's the most important part. I think that goes back to um, the the strength of the partnership um, with all the the intersectional partners is that we've been working alongside so it's not been a case as you say Nick that we are we're pointing fingers and saying you know people are discriminating and you're not doing that right each of our partners have been as open to us in terms of to helping us and working alongside us to help us become more accessible to different groups so I think that I think that's key in terms of what Dee says about you know we just continue to learn and there's some simple simple really easy things that we can do um that, that make us more accessible and ensure that we're, we're much more inclusive. Um, like things like when Deaf Scotland came to a meeting at the SAMH offices and they were thinking about, you know, very simple things like when you as a deaf person come to enter a building, if there's only a, an audio thing there, like a buzzer or whatever, then if there's not a a window there then you can't explain to the person at reception that you're a deaf person you can't you know you can't see through the audio so they were complimenting our offices for being inclusive in that way because as a deaf person coming it's less intimidating so there's all these things that we take for granted that we that we just that they're simple things that we can do to ensure that we're we're more inclusive and that deaf people feel more um accepted and and um comfortable Totally. And that's why that's such a good example of why it's so important to listen to people who have experience, because you even with the best will in the world, you can't think of absolutely everything that's going to ensure that someone is fully included in that sense. And that, yeah, in that example, I, to be honest, like I've walked in and out that office um, a lot of times over the course of six years. I've been through that door a lot and have had to buzz the buzzer. Um, more often than I should because I forget my pass all the time or I lose it but yeah I'd never really considered that if you buzz and and it's someone that then says who is it or if there wasn't a glass door and yeah that's how it can be that's why it's so great to work in partnership and for anyone who is looking to make sure they are more inclusive whether it's around mental health it's around deafness lgbt whatever it may be to speak to people who have ex- who have real lived experience and they're of they're the experts they know and they're the people that can really tell you in any particular situation what you can do what you can do to help as well and 
like, do you think like how important do you think D is it that real story stories of lived experience are the ones that any work like this or any anyone trying to make a difference that those stories are the ones that are the basis of making change. I think you know it, it's to tackle mental health stigma we need to have a, a huge overview of how mental health affects everybody um, because it does affect people in so many ways and we know that people that you know are fa- as I said are, are facing these dual stigmas experience mental health in a variety of different ways um, and struggle in a number of different ways that are perhaps different to how you and I um, would would go through that so it's so important that we we get to the, the, the core of that and understand it so that we can you know so that we can make make a change that's that's going to impact everybody and not just a few um, and I think that you know we to tackle stigma we need to we need to be able to reach people in a variety of different ways and we can't just you know limit it to one group of people so yeah it's it's important and it's important to to pick up on those voices as well and you know those stories of lived experience so that other people who are maybe in a in a kind of lesser known category of, of perhaps struggling don't feel alone and feel able to reach out for help and prevent you know possible situations getting worse as well so I think it's you know it's to create change, we need to make sure we're hitting lots of nails on the head and not just, you know, a select kind of community or group of people. Um, I don't think you can you can say you're tackling stigma if you're not tackling multiple stigmas or, or mental health across multiple kind of intersectional groups. Tony, what do you think from what you've learned working with Death Scotland on leading the partnership? Is there any really interesting little tips or things around being more inclusive that you've picked up from working with them? Yeah, so um, one of them we actually implemented at one of our recent volunteer gatherings because um, one of the really simple things that that they highlighted to me was at events when you're in like a conference area, if you want to make events more inclusive, sometimes um, deaf people or people using hearing aids, the, the environment can be really important so that like the noise or the the wider background noise can be really really impactful to people who are have hearing aids and things like that and it can be really exclusionary and can actually be, be, become really quite painful so one of the the really quick simple things that we implemented around that was that we just used the bsl clap instead of the the big clap in the room and it and it made such a difference for people to be able to come along and participate in that event. Now, for some of us, it felt quite unusual and people didn't fully understand it, but when you explained why that was, it was to ensure that people who otherwise would not have been able to effectively participate in that event were just able to to come and feel part of it. And it was just a simple thing, but I think that we nuggets like that you know, they only come through working alongside and in partnership and it was just it was just a really simple thing that we were able to do but worked really well. It did. It was I really I love that. It was something I I hadn't seen it before, kind of the the wave instead of the clap. But it was something yeah, as I said, the first time everyone did it, it the room was maybe like twenty five percent still clapping, but then looking <laughs> a bit confused as to why other people were waving. Yeah. And then every time there was something to clap, it just got a little bit less until everyone's like, Oh no, I get that now and it does, yeah, it just it takes a bit of time, but it it was really it made such a huge difference and it's quite hard to tell people not to clap. It's such an 
inbuilt thing when you get that little gap to to clap to just start hitting your hands together which is a really weird thing in itself isn't it that it's just like ingrained in humans that you say something good and then people just start smacking their hands <laughs> together like, yeah, i've never thought of it now. like that and now i think that, yeah that's weird i remember although a bit of a sidetrack thing i was a best man a few years ago for one of my friends and obviously one of my friends is not going to be someone who hates me. <laughs> yeah, I was best man at a wedding for an enemy. Next, just and, making um, a plug at the fact that he's got friends. <laughs> <laughs> I have up to one friend. <laughs> um, and I did that in his speech. Of, there's a bit at the beginning of all wedding speeches where you're like, oh, everyone, let's hear it for the, the bride and don't the bridesmaids look beautiful and hear it for the groom. And I'd put a note on everyone's placemat at the table was to say when I say let's hear it for the groom no one clap I just wanted it to be just dead silence so when I said let's hear it for the groom just everyone just stared back at him with stony faces I thought it'd be really funny and I still believe it would have been and it worked for like 98% of people there was just like one of our mates Glenn just at his table cheering and whooping all on his own and then my friend John's dad was cheering as well which meant that the impact of having the silence didn't really work. It was just John thought that very few people actually cared. Which maybe <laughs> was better. <laughs> yeah, I think that's somehow funnier. <laughs> yeah, <it kinda laughs> just worked. one slow clap. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, weird segue. But yeah, it was a really at the volunteer event. It was a really nice way just to ensure that everyone was included. And well, yeah, like I say, one of those little things that we might not have thought of before if we hadn't worked with. Deaf Scotland and in that partnership and looking for tips from them and they've been really great to work with so we've got the interview coming up now um, this is with Janice from Deaf Scotland just chatting about the the work they've done and uh, what it's been like working together. Well my own background is psychiatric nursing so I've got a bit of a personal interest in uh, mental health and well-being um, so um, we were particularly interested in linking up with mental health services and developments because our people that we represent, um, people affected by deafness, have a much higher incidence of mental health problems than a mainstream population. So it seemed like a, a natural thing to try and, and take steps to join up and work more effectively. What kind of appealed about CME to work with? Well, we liked the uh, idea that it was around destigmatising, that it was maybe more forward thinking and it was really around building resilience and, and developing uh, positive mental health strategies rather than the sort of illness and, and um, maybe trapping people in disorder type thinking, if that makes sense. Definitely. And did that link in a lot with the sort of ethos of Deaf Scotland as well and what you guys are doing. Yeah, well, we're particularly strong on um, trying to develop prevention. Um, there are areas where preventable deafness is is um, quite important, but more I think more fitting in with the mental health stuff is um, um, preventing social isolation. A lot of the mental health problems that we feel people affected by uh, deafness have are really related to being more isolated. It's it's a, a sort of well-known side effect of, of deafness that you do self-isolate. It becomes much more difficult to communicate. Therefore, it's it's much more important that we have an eye to those sort of strategies. Mm-hmm. And how's this work, the kind of joint partnership work together, seeing me in Deaf Scotland, try to approach addressing that isolation? Well, we've really worked hard at trying to understand each other's messages and um, statistics, the data, 
um, we've spent a bit of time um, working out what would be um, sort of ground rules in the sense of what makes better communication and CME have taken steps to um, make sure the staff are more deaf aware and, and things like that. Um, the other side of it is from uh, we, we've been trying to create materials and information that uh, are in English, um, they're subtitled but they're also translated into BSL which means that we've got across the spectrum of deafness um, a core of um, what we feel is good quality information that helps people be um, involved and participate in, in work that both CME and ourselves are doing to bridge that gap. One of them I always defy people to watch, um, it's called Elizabeth's Story. Um, I've not known anybody to really watch it without getting quite emotional because it's a deaf sign language user really expressing um, her situation and her feelings and, and what's happened around uh, the loss of her husband. Um, it's quite a poignant story um, and I think it's richer in the fact that um, it's described in sign language so it really does get across all the um, the challenges that sign language users face when dealing with um, access to typical mental health services. Um, it really, um, it really it touches um, the head and the heart, I think, in a way that's very positive. Um, when people see it, they want to make changes to try and make their services more accessible and think much more carefully about their, their information and the way that they work that, that maybe makes things more accessible and more accepting of deaf people because yeah. currently um, we feel quite excluded. Has the impact of CME on this bit of work been a positive one? I think so. I, I think it's been a, a positive impact. Both sides of that make sense and so we've never felt that we're not doing anything other than working together. But in terms of, sh of sharing the experiences, um, I think we are very focused on inclusion and integration. Uh, what I find quite often is that services will make some attempts to be more accessible. But as I described that, it, it allows deaf people to get to the party, but there's still nobody asking them to dance um, and to actually be involved in more of an integrated way. Um, we've now got a sign language user who's a champion with, within CME. They've had to change um, a number of ways that they've uh, worked in, in a standard fashion to make adjustments to allow that to happen. We're still trying to explore ways that that champion can really deliver on this, this, the CME agenda um, with the deaf community. But um, I think the reality is um, it, it's, it's just made everybody think a bit more and just not automatically go to default positions, um, which we believe are very hearingist. Um, in, in our uh, view of the world, it's very oriented towards um, hearing um, and spoken language. So the reality for deaf people is that it's quite a challenge and a lot of the work that's been done in mental health, particularly around talking therapies, is still a huge challenge for us. So it's difficult for us to get um, access to access services because most of them are telephone based. And then um, early intervention and preventative type services tend to be very verbal and, and telephone based as well. So just trying behind that to get other services now to think about what they do, I think it's quite important. And for CME, kind of getting messages like that across trying to get people to understand, whereas like from other person's point of view, that sort of people with, with that lived experience at the centre of driving that change is really important for us. And then is that 
is that similar for you in the work that we've done together? Has that been a core part of that? Yes. Um, the, the important thing to probably uh, remember is when, when access to the richness of language is diminished, um, then the nuances, there's a lot of nuances around um, particularly talking therapies and mental health and understanding grades of how people feel and, and when, when those restrictions are there, um, understanding that, that grading is much more difficult. So it's, it's, it, uh, we've really had to try and challenge ourselves to make that much more visual, for example. With the, the videos and the work that you've done so far, what difference do you think it's made for the people that we're trying to achieve and, and, and think and make things better for? Well, I think first of all, having things done in an uh, accessible format it means that people who are, for example, sign language users can talk to their hearing family members or their hearing friends. Um, they've got a shared piece of information that's accessible to everyone um, because it's got subtitles, it's got the voiceover. It, it means that even people with uh, diminished sight are able to, to be involved. So we see that as much more integrated um, and that's very... Um, it's very important to people that, um, particularly sign language users, that feel quite far removed from general society. They feel quite excluded on a number of levels. I think the other thing is is seeing themselves in the in the, the film clips. Um, they're, they're seeing um, uh, new role models. They're they're seeing uh, other people that they can identify with that are telling stories that are meaningful to them. So that has a ripple out impact. So not, it's, it's nothing that's different from mainstream population, but it's really quite important when you don't feel part of that mainstream to see those role models and, and to, to be involved and to, to, to maybe sometimes even be quite good to, to know that person, I know that person. Do you think, do you think the work's then been able to, to influence others as well, kind of different target audiences? Well, I think we're maybe at limited stages with that. I think what we see so far with the uptake and the viewings of the work is that it's been predominantly people affected by deafness and their family members. I think we've got more work to do to be engaging with professionals um, and to help professionals understand the uh, language challenges, the communication challenges and the the lack of access and the barriers that they maybe don't see um, in their everyday practice because I, I don't think that people leave the house um, believing that they're going out to do uh, a poor job but actually many people um, believe that they're good communicators when actually there are a number of, of challenges around the communication that could be improved quite quite quickly, even um, where it's done, the noise in the background, um, good lighting, um, all, all those sorts of things that um, we know, but as we get into our busy professional lives, we start to forget. It's been a lot of work and, and it is starting to have an impact. Are you, kind of, are you quite proud of the work that we've done together? Um, yes, I've been in post five years and, um, you know, I think our organisation's been around for 90 years. So, you know, you say to yourself, um, has our organisation been successful when it's taken 90 years to get a legislative change like the BSL Act? You know, they'll go, well, forgive me, it's not, uh, I'm not going to have 90 years left in me to, to make another change. Um, and we talk about whether um, we need to go further and look at uh, communication legislation to make it essential that people think more 
about um, language and communication and when they're doing things. Um, so, so this work has really helped us um, re rethink, reimagine our work and we now describe a lot of it more in human rights terms where there's a right to language and there's a right to communication um, and, and more so that, that beyond the rights, uh, language and communication are enablers for people to enjoy all their other rights. So from our perspective this piece of work has, has um, massive impact um, in terms of it's changed our thinking and it's also changed our approaches to, to things. So um, the, the, the real thing that I'm proud of is, is that thinking shift um, because I think the human rights approach helps us to be um, person-centred, it helps us to think much more carefully about how we approach each individual and we're not running th people through groups and systems and some of the things that I learned when I trained as a nurse um, are now uh, defunct, that we have to be much more aware of um, a whole range of things um, when we're dealing with people um, and, and getting that message across is, is quite important. So I think from our perspective, the, this project work has made us shift our whole uh, modus operandi and, and uh, we're moving now on Communication for All being a, a much more important campaign. So we've kind of lost the notion of um, deafness. It's much more about communication, it's much more about the barriers. So I think moving away further from the medical model is, is the other thing that's quite important. And do you feel like you're starting to, with Descartes to be able to, to do that for people affected by deafness, to actually make them feel more able to talk about their mental health or communicate about that? Well, yes, I think the whole agenda, that bringing things out into the open, whether it be mental health and or deafness, um, has to be a good thing to start the discussions. And, and really, again, what, what we're saying is similar messages. It's okay to be stressed. It's okay um, to be depressed. It's okay to have reactions to things. Um, it's okay to be deaf. It's, it's natural. People lose their hearing through the ageing process, so we don't talk about it enough either. So building those bridges has been really useful. Definitely. And what changes do you still want to see moving forward? Well, I, th I think fundamentally we would want people to understand that there, there are different challenges and different solutions for people affected by deafness. If, if you're deaf and you're a sign language user, you've been born deaf, then your challenges and barriers are around any language acquisition and, and um, participating um, through, through that means. If you've lost your hearing um, through uh, illness or, or um, injury or, or whatever, it's a different scenario when you've got a language orientation and you're dealing with that loss and change. Um, so I think people generally don't know enough about deafness and its impact um, and the overlaps between it and, and mental health um, are, are quite important. So I think going forward um, continuing to raise the agenda and continuing to raise the bar about the discussions that are related discussions will will be a good thing. What's the one thing that you'd say to someone if they were 
discriminating against someone or excluding someone if they're struggling with their mental health and they're affected by deafness? What's the kind of one thing you would say to that person to try and change their behaviour? Well, I think sometimes it's just pausing. Sometimes people are so busy doing that they don't stop to think. And, and if you can think about the impact of, of uh, the communication on that person, um, whether they've got mental health problems and or deafness or not, then the, the communication, the quality of the communication can have a significant impact. So um, often when things are happening in an exclusive way, they're, um, they're, 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 they're maybe more aggressive, they're maybe more confrontational, um, there's bits about how do we unpick some of that. So I just always think sometimes pause is a good um, tool to have in your armory and, and, and that would be my key message is just sometimes when you're in the middle of things pause and think about it and think of the impact on others because clearly when you're in that, that, that um, way of thinking it's having an impact on you as well. Okay, that was the interview with Janice there and some really interesting points that she brought up, some of the things that we touched on before as well about making sure things are inclusive and things like that and especially Tony, the human rights based approach is really interesting in this and looking at human rights around inclusivity and communications for all as well. Like how important do you think that is and that that's something that we strive to work to as well? I guess um, the work that, that we do would take a, a human rights-based approach and in particular this work, it highlights that people people aren't getting access to the, the fundamental human rights that they deserve, the right to health, the right to communication, the right to participate. And I think that one of the things that um, we need to pay particular attention to is, is that people have the right to be able to know their rights understand them and claim them and I think that the more that we can work with people to promote the rights that they deserve um, part of the communication for all strategy and things like that really highlights that and I think that some of the work that we've been doing with Deaf Scotland is really just about highlighting the basic fundamental rights that people have and that, that deaf people aren't getting afforded access to the basic right to communicate and get access to the information that will keep them well. So I think that um, part of this work is just to continue on with promoting that and promoting the rights of people. Great point to end it on there, I think. So thanks very much for joining us for this episode, Tony. Uh, you have done well enough. You will be invited back for your second. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> I'm still yeah. here. I've been, I've been on everyone. Just saying, it's not a competition, but if it was... If it was, he's <laughs> well up there. <laughs> okay cool well thank you both very much and we will speak to you next time bye bye cheers ciao